So we are continuing this series, again, that we've been going through this summer as we're studying the book of Romans, and we've been going chapter by chapter each week, and um, again, if you have missed a week, been out of town or on vacation or whatever's been going on in your life this summer, uh, just remind you that all of the past messages are available on our website, as well as on YouTube and on podcasts, so if you want to catch up with those, you can, you're able to do that. Um, but as I said, we're, we're continuing to work our way through the letter, and um, as we see, we're, we're past the halfway point. In fact, we're on the downhill run here. Uh, as we as just pointed out, the summer's almost over, and we're, we're moving into kind of the last month of summer. So, uh, But again, we will finish the, the book of Romans uh, before we start off our fall series. Um, and I bet to say our fall series is going to be called the Red Letter Challenge. And so we're going to be going through, uh, again, it's a six-week challenge as we are going to focus on the red letters of the Bible, which are the words of Jesus. And so that's how we're going to be kicking off our fall. And like I said, you're going to hear a lot more about that as we uh, get closer to it. But with that is today, like I said, we are to Romans chapter 10. So last week we looked at chapter 9, um, which was a great follow-up from chapter 8. And we see chapter 8 is where the entire letter kind of hinges on chapter 8. He presents us with a bunch of a very core, foundational, big-picture theological truths in chapter 8. And we saw in 9 last week, as Paul got very personal and very practical, and, and Paul really just spilled his feelings and his, his, his inner thoughts a lot in chapter 9. And he continues this trend in chapter 10. In fact, not just chapter 10, but if you look forward through the rest of the letter, he continues to get very personal and very practical. This, the first half, like I said, he kind of builds up to these theological truths in 8, and then in 9 through 16, he continues to, uh, to give very personal feelings and advice. Um, as we see moving into chapter 10, he, he builds on top of these challenges we saw last week, and he goes directly to our salvation and the core gospel message. And the truth is, there's nothing more personal in your life than your salvation. Right? And it is so, again, personal and yet so important. And obviously, that, I mean, it's the goal of our faith. In fact, it's the goal of every faith. Right, of every world religion has some sort of definition of what salvation is. Now again, that varies in different world religions, and, and yet, again, according to the Bible and according to our faith as followers of Jesus, right, is we believe salvation is as exp- spending eternity with God in heaven. And, and so again, our salvation is how do we end up there? How do we get there? And so Paul, he said, gets very personal in chapter 10 is he gives us this this core truth of our faith in how we define salvation and how we get to heaven. So we're going to start this morning in Romans chapter 10, where we are going to read verses 1 through 4. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open up with me to Romans chapter 10. If you don't have your own Bible, you don't have it with you, there are Bibles uh, that you're welcome to use in the seat pockets. And uh, you'll notice on the outline is the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. But as we open up to Romans chapter 10, like I said, we're going to start this morning as we read verses 1 through 4. So Romans 10, starting at verse 1, where it says, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. 
refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. So we're going to stop there again because these first few verses, again, he dives right in. And to start off again, Paul was a Jew. He was, in fact, uh, at the top of the ranks of being a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He had studied the, the scriptures. He, in fact, as a Pharisee, likely had most of the Pentateuch memorized. Right? He knew the Old Testament scriptures probably better than anyone. And yet he still had this heart as God had moved him into this, as he had this this personal interaction with Jesus, right? And found his salvation again and moved from persecuting followers of Jesus to now being the flagship missionary for Jesus. And he started these churches all over the region, and which is why he wrote all these letters, right? And why we have over half the New Testament is Paul's letters to these churches that he started, right? But yet Paul still had a longing for his ancestors, for, again, his brothers and sisters of Israel. And we see he pours out his emotions here. He says, like, I I long for them. I I care for them. I I wish with my whole being that they would find a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ the way that I have. But then in verse 2, he comes out with this kind of stinging statement, right? As he says... I know their enthusiasm that they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. Again, and this, is, this is a hard statement. I mean, this is him calling out his, his friends. Right? And in, in, in this, this hard, stinging statement, right, not, that applies not just to them, but I think it's one, again, that we look at is how does it apply even to our world today? And again, this, this very personal, you know, interpretation of of the landscape that he found himself in, yet still so much applies to our world today. Because there are people that we deeply care for. There are people that that we love that are not saved. And yet he he points out this point about his his fellow Israelites, and yet we learn this, this kind of hard truth, again, from his statement here in these first few verses. And that is that it is possible to have a strong enthusiasm for God and not be saved. Again, we know we have those those friends, those family members, those co-workers, or whatever they are, right, that just deny God completely, and it's pretty obvious, right, that, that they are not saved. And yet, as he points out again, these Israelites had a strong passion for God. They knew about God. They, they, they knew the, the, the Old Testament scriptures better than anyone. Right? They, nobody questioned their passion or their zeal. In fact, Paul acknowledges it in this verse. Right? That they were incredibly passionate about who God is and about the religious landscape. Right? And, and, and even their commitment to religious things. Nobody questioned it whatsoever, and yet, he says their zeal was misdirected. And the same is true in our world today, right? It is possible to have a strong enthusiasm for God, to even study the Bible, to know, you know, all kinds of things about theology. You can know about God and not be saved. It can be misdirected zeal. 
Again, we are not saved based on our passion level or our knowledge. We are not saved on how often we come to church or how much we give in the offering plate or, or how excited we are about X, Y, or Z. That is not the basis of our salvation. Right? It is possible, like I said, to know a ton about God and not be saved. And so as, as Paul gives us this, right, he, he dives a little deeper into verse 3. Right, as he kind of, after he gives us this strong, personal zinger of a statement in verse 2, he goes into verse 3, and he says, For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law. Again, he, he makes this, this powerful, personal Hard statement in verse 2, right? That they have all kinds of passion, all kinds of zeal, and yet it's misdirected. And then he explains himself here in verse 3. I say that, again, he said it's not their passion that they're lacking, but yet it's them accepting God's way of being saved. But I encourage you on your outline to underline the phrase, their own way of getting right with God. Their own way of getting right with God. Because that's the key phrase here. Because as Paul is telling us, and that we have to understand, God is the one that gets to decide the way we're saved. Okay, that's, that, that, that's, not, that's not our role. That's not our choice. Right, but now, again, that's not under our own authority. We don't get to decide how we're saved. And yet... Just as Paul acknowledges, not just for the Jewish people, but I think it's true in so many ways in our world, right? Is we can all come up with ways that we think would be better than God's way. Right? And yet, we come up with all kinds of ways of, again, our own way of getting right with God. And, and ultimately, that is the definition of salvation, is being right with God, being in a relationship with God. Being connected with him relationally. In fact, that's what heaven is, right? He's being in his unhindered presence and relationship for eternity. And yet we can come up with our own way. We can, we can look, and again, I don't think we consciously, you know, kind of shake our finger at God and be like, God, I know better than you. But yet, uh, but that's what Paul's stating, right? That ultimately that's the core of what happens when we come up with our own way of being saved. Again, Paul states what their own way was for the Israelites, and that was the law, keeping the law. Again, it was the law that was even given by God, and he's, he's gone through it many times in the chapters leading up to this point about the role of the law and, and why the law was important and how that, the, the first covenant was to set up this new covenant of grace and to be ready for Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled that law. And again, he's been very clear about the law. Now, but again, he He's telling them, he's like, but now we're going to move into the, the next phase of God's plan of salvation, which was Jesus Christ. And he said, though, that, that, that they are clinging to the law. Now, again, if, what, what did Jesus get so upset with the Jews about? I mean, over and over again in the Gospels, right, was that you've taken the law that was meant for this and you've turned it into something else. That they've come up with their own way of getting right with God. For, the, for them, it was the law. 
And yet, we can look even in our world and our culture today and realize that there are many other theories out there that people have come up with that fall into this category of our own way of getting right with God. Again, as Paul calls out the Israelites here in this passage, I mean, again, think about our own people that we care so deeply about. I mean, that's where Paul starts, right? I care deeply about these people. How many people do we know that have maybe come up with their own way of getting right with God? That maybe you have an incredible passion and zeal for God, and yet it's misdirected, right? Because they have not submitted themselves to Jesus Christ. If we look at the major world religions that we see in our world today, they all have their own idea of what to get right with God. But as, we, as we think about that, again, we can look at all those major world religions, and again, they all define salvation in different ways. They all have different ways that you get there. Right? And yet, um, we look at our faith, at, at what it means to follow Jesus, and again, God's way of getting right with him and finding salvation. And we hear it, even when we hear it, sometimes we get it confused or messed up, or, or, or we, we, get, we get it misconstrued with religion and with churches and with, with all these different things. In fact, just, just recently in our world, in our culture, there's, there's been this kind of trend about, about how people don't like organized religion. In fact, when we, um, as maybe you know, I went to Florida just a couple weeks ago for our National Church of God convention, and on, on the way home, on the flight, on one of my flights, on the way home from that, right, was, um, was I, I ended up next to this lady, and, and I don't know if you've traveled a lot, right, on planes. I mean, I, I've traveled a good amount. I mean, not as much as probably some of you guys, but, but there's, there's different categories of people on a plane, right? You get on a plane, and like some people... Just want, they're just in their world, they want to go to sleep, they want to watch their movie, they want to do whatever they do, right? And especially now with all of our personal technology and those kind of things, right? Most people get on the plane and they put on their headphones, right? Which is like the universal flying, like, you know, symbol of like, don't talk, I don't want to talk to you. Right, and so I, I, I get on the plane, and, and honestly, like, I'm one of those people, and especially, like, on my way home from this convention, like, I'd been interacting with people for days, right? Like, just at that point, I was just, I'm just kind of relationally empty. Like, I just want to get home to my family and just kind of put in my time on the plane and watch my movie and just, I mean, I, so I was in that mode. Like, I, I was the get the headphones on as soon as I sit down kind of type of mood, right? And I'm on my last leg getting home, and, and we, get, we get there, and I sit down, and, 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 the, I get to, and as soon as I sit there, they come on, and then we get delayed for like five minutes for this little thing, and, and I could tell both, there's a guy on my right and a lady on my left, and they're both in the other category <laughs> they, of, of people that want to talk, right? And in that moment, again, I'm just saying, I'm like, Lord, I just want to get home. I just want to see my family. I just... And we're delayed, and like, right? And then, and but then I start to hear, and they, as they're kind of talking across me, because I'm in the—that's the other dreaded thing—is I'm in the middle seat, right? And like they're kind of talking about me, and just they start to, and then you know they come, and I'm like, all right, so kind of start to engage and kind of talk to them, start to hear their story a little bit, and then as the dreaded question comes, right, of what do you do, right? And, and like I said, it's a dreaded question for me because as soon as they know I'm a pastor, the conversation always changes. 
right? And, and, and again, I'm talking with them, and I say, well, I'm a, uh, you know, because he was like, well, what are you traveling for? And I was like, well, I was at a conference for my job, and what do you do? I'm, I'm a pastor. And then the lady on my left, she says, yeah, which it, it's very interesting how people respond when they find out I'm a pastor, right? And the lady next to me on the left says, I believe in Jesus, but I don't like organized religion. And I kind of looked at her, and I was like, okay. I looked at her, and I said, yeah, I don't either. And she was like, what? Like, and then at that moment, I'm like, put on the headphones. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? But, I mean, it opened a conversation with her, right? And so at the time, I'm like, I don't, I don't like organized religion either. Because that's not the point. That's not what Jesus was about. In fact, Jesus got upset at organized religion. Right? Because on the core of our faith, the way we define salvation is not about organized religion. It is about a relationship with our creator. Right? And God made a way for us to have a restored relationship with our creator. And so many times the things about that we come up with, and again, whether it's the law or whether it's any of these other religions or even the things that we bring in our own mind and heart as we even come to church, right, get in the way of that relationship with God. Now again, religion can be a good thing if it points you to Christ. Right, but so many times, again, that quote-unquote organized religion becomes a distraction from what really matters which is a relationship with our creator and following God's way of being right with him. Right? And, and when we read these, these words of, of Paul and, and we, we see again as he kind of pours out his heart, right, we, we realize that, that, that God's way of being right with him, of, of having an ongoing relationship with him is the most important thing. Now, again, I will say there's a difference between organized religion and a church with organized leadership. Okay, those are two different things. And I think so many times when people say they don't like organized religion, that's kind of what they mean. Right? They don't like the way that the church is organized or, you know, a pastor offended them at some point or, or whatever it might be. But ultimately, it's about what the focus is on. Is the focus on Christ or is it on the rules of a religion? Is it about doing the right things and behavior modification, or is it about a relationship with God? And as Paul lays his foundation, then he moves into this section, this last section of the chapter, the rest of the chapter, verses 5 through 21, okay, where he goes back and he starts kind of reiterates deeper about what salvation really is and what God's plan is. Okay, Romans 10, picking up at verse 5, when he says, For Moses writes, the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, Don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And the message is, is the very message about faith that we preach. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. 
Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through the people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by, by people who were not looking for me. I showed myself to those who were not asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, all day long I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. I think Paul, once again, does a similar thing as he does in chapter 9 as he continues this very personal, um, you know, sell to, to Israel, saying, follow Jesus. And he, again, quotes many Old Testament passages. But as we realize this, and as he goes through that, right, is, is he presents two very important questions, one in verse 18 and one in verse 19. Okay, verse 18, where he presents the, the rhetorical question, Right, of have they heard the message? Right? And, and he, asks, he asks that right, about Israel. Say, have they heard the message? And he says, yes, they have. And then in verse 19, when he's asked the follow-up question, is have they understood the message? Right? And, and, and add, then he goes into this, and, but, and he, then he goes in and quoting these verses and all these different things. And, and yet these are very valid questions, not just for his Jewish friends, but these are very valid questions for us to continue to ask today. Have people heard the message? And have they understood what they've heard? With these incredible questions, right, that that we should be faced with, that every believer needs to wrestle with, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need to be asking this of those that we care deeply about just as Paul was asking about those he deeply cared about. Have they heard the message of salvation? And if they've heard it, have they understood it? Now, one of the the awesome things about Romans, right, that we've seen, like I said, the first half of the letter is all these foundational truths about who God is, about who Jesus is, what the way of salvation is. And there are lots of ways to share the true gospel with people and about how they are saved. One of those ways is called the Romans Road of Salvation. And it's called the Romans Road to Salvation because literally you can just walk down each step of the explanation of the gospel message using verses from Romans. Now the Romans Road, the last step on the Romans Road is in Romans chapter 10. So this morning what I want to do is um, to look back, when you think about how they heard the message, how they understood the message, that is to, to start and to go back and to follow those steps that Paul has taken us on through these chapters. I right, just say, again, what is the message? 
Again, have we heard the message? Have we understood the message? Because as you see, there are lots of theories in our world today on what it means to be saved. And so Paul clearly defines the way of salvation that God has provided for us through Jesus Christ. So we're going to walk through those steps. The first one is this. It is found in Romans 3.23, where it says, for, all, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Okay, and this is the start of where we all start from. Right? That we are all sinners. We have all sinned. Right, again, you see, these, he uses this, these words, right? Everyone. Right? Who's, who's, who's exempt from that? Well, no one. In fact, there's only one human that's ever lived on the face of this planet that does not fall into everyone. And that is Jesus Christ himself. Right? Everyone has done what? Everyone has sinned. Right? Again, sin is anything that is not of God. Right? As we know, we all, we are born with a sinful nature, right? We all have a sinful nature inside of us. In fact, Paul spent an entire chapter, right, explaining that earlier in Romans. We all have sinned. Sin and sin separates from us from a holy God. Again, it says we fall short of God's glorious standard, right? God was is sinless. Right? And because of that sin we have, it separates us relationally from God because God is holy. That is his glorious standard. He is holy without sin. And so if we have sin, it's, it drives a wedge between us. God, we are broken relationally from God. And so we all have a problem because we've all sinned. Right? And every sin is the same in that it separates us from God. We've all sinned. We're all separated from God because of our sinful nature. Right? And then we see, so we, we all present, we all have the same problem as he presents. We've all sinned. We're all separated from God. And we move to the next step in the Romans road, which is Romans 6.23. But it says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we all have the same problem, right? We all have sin. And what is the, the end result of our sin? He says the end result is that we is death. Right? That's the wages of sin. Now, the Bible describes two different deaths when it uses that word. We don't with the English word, it's the same word, but but it, to, there's two different deaths that the Bible describes. One is a physical death, right? When our bodies give up, they wear out, they stop working. They, and whether you are a Christian, a believer, and saved, or whether you're not, that you will still experience a physical death. That is not what this is describing. Right? For the wages of sin is death. Now, death, this is a spiritual death. This is your soul death, right? What makes you, you, right? It's not your body. It's your soul. Right? And your soul will die. And what, what a soul death, again, it's eternal, right? But what this, this death is describing is complete separation from God. Okay, we think about, right? Heaven, right, is in God's unhindered presence, right? In, in unhindered relationship with him, we have as much of God's presence as we could ever get in heaven. And the opposite of that is death, spiritual death. Because God is the author and giver of life. 
Right? And so the wages of our sin is death. And aren't we so thankful that the, the sentence doesn't end there? I sure am. Right? Because it doesn't. There's a comma instead of a period. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? The wages of sin is death, but we don't have to go there. Because God made a way for us to go the other direction. Which is eternal life. And it's a free gift. We don't have to pay for it. It's a free gift. And what is that way? How, do we, how is that even possible? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? God saw we had a problem that we couldn't solve on our own. And God says, that's okay, I'll solve it for you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life on this earth, to, be, to die on a cross, right? And to pay then our sin debt because he didn't have one to pay, which makes him the perfect sacrifice. So then we, we move to the next step in the Romans road, which is actually a step backwards in numbers because we go to 623, then we step back to Romans 5, 6, and 8 as he explains this free gift a little further, when he says, so when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Again, when we were helpless, we could not pay our sin debt, right, without dying, without complete separation from God, and yet, then he had just the right time, he sent Christ. You know, sometimes I wonder, why didn't God send Jesus when we had the internet? Because his message would have gone a whole lot broader, faster, right? And, but yeah, but no, it was just the right time, right, when Christ came, right? To live a sinless life and to die on a cross for our sins. Again, and Again, you think, why would God do that? Why would he sacrifice his son to save us? Because he has a great love for us. That was his motivation, was love. Because he cares for us deeper than even Paul cares for his Israelite friends. And he sent, because of his son, he sent Christ to die. And when we were still sinners, we were still helpless, we didn't deserve it. We didn't even ask for it. And yet he sent Christ. Right? And making that way of salvation is a free gift through grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Receiving something that I don't deserve. Right? And that's exactly what God gave us through Jesus Christ and the way that we can be saved. And then we get to the final step of the Romans road, which gets us back into Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 13, when he says, if we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, is verse 13. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad to see a period at the end of that sentence. Right? If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, period. 
It's believing that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died for you, and believing that, that he, that really happened, that he really rose again on the third day, conquering death. Right? That's believing in your heart and, and openly declaring. Right? Meaning, inviting Jesus into your life, confessing your sins, say, Jesus, forgive me, and come into my life, and save me. Right? And that's what it takes to be saved. You don't have to earn it. Right? You don't have to jump through any hoops. You don't have to check off any boxes. You don't even have to show up at church if you don't want to. You just have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And you will be saved. It is by grace, not by works. Which is another Paul letter in Ephesians. And he tells us that. Okay, as we look at these steps of salvation again, and there are lots of other verses that we can use and lots of other places that support these, this explanation of God's gospel and the way that Christ paved for us to be saved. But as we look at this, again, this is one simple way. There's lots of other ways, right? For, I mean, four spiritual laws or different tracts or different things are out there. Lots of ways to explain the gospel. A Romans Road is one, again, simple one, right, that we've seen that Paul presents through these different chapters. Again, and there are many other verses in Romans you can throw in there, right, to help explain it further. But now as we've heard this information, right, now what do we do with it? We've heard this information. We've seen it. Paul's presented it in Romans. Now what do we do with it? And, and Paul speaks to that as well. And through in a couple different places. One in Romans 10, verse 14. And I want to go back to verse 14. When he says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if, if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? So what do we do with it? Number one, right, in saying again, how can we call on him unless we believe in him? How can we believe in him if you've never heard about him? And again, you're sitting here today and you just heard about him as we've walked through the Romans road. So first question is, what are, you, what are you gonna do with this information? Have you called on Jesus to save you? Because again, just showing up at church is not the way that God paved out. Right, even being in church every Sunday is, does not make you saved. But you can be in church every Sunday your entire life and never be saved unless you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Right? And as we, we look at that, again, is the question, right, is do you believe in Jesus and call on him to save you? Because that's the first thing you need to do with this information is make sure that you are right with God. Do you believe in Jesus and have you called on him to save you? Again, I don't know. I can't answer that question for you. I can answer it for me, but I can't answer it for you. And that's between you and God. And, and again, if, if you don't know, if you cannot emphatically say yes to that question, then I hope that you will believe in him and call on him today before you leave here. Right? As I, I hope that you can say yes to that question. In fact, Paul has the same hope. Because we've all sinned, and yet he wants everyone to be saved. 
That's the heart of God. And so have you believed? Have you called in him? Again, and how can they hear unless someone tells them? Okay, which leads us into the next thing, which, and it leads into, again, his continued thought in verse 15. And that is, and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And that is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So again, we've all heard that, and I hope that we've accepted Jesus as our Savior. So now what do we do with this information? Right? And, and the next step, after you yourself is being saved, and you have eternal life with Jesus Christ, then that starts your new journey. And your journey of faith that takes you closer to Christ every day as you move closer to him and move forward in your faith journey. And, and a, a part of that, right, again, is being sent by God to, to share this information. Right, and so the next um, you know, point that he makes here in verse 15 is that every believer has been sent to share the true gospel. He says, well, they won't go unless they've been sent. And guess what? You've been sent if you're a follower of Jesus. Every believer has been sent to share the true gospel. As we realize that, right, is, uh, again, what are we doing to fulfill that call of Jesus. Because Jesus anointed every believer to share the truth of who he is and his way of salvation. In fact, it was his parting words to the apostles right, that they have now passed on to us. We know it as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. When Jesus came, he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, even as Jesus commissioned them and therefore us, right, of every believer to go and to share the gospel with everyone. Okay, notice again, he tells us in verse 15, he says, how beautiful are the messengers who bring the good news. And that's, that is our role as followers of Jesus, is we are messengers. Again, we can't save anybody. I can't save anybody myself. I can't save myself, and I can't save you. Believe me, as your pastor, I wish I could save somebody, but I can't. That is not my role. That is not within my power. I can't save anybody. I'm a messenger, just like you are. Right? And yet, why do we not share the gospel? Well, we have lots of reasons why we don't share the gospel. Right? But yet, every believer has been called. Every believer has been sent right, to share the gospel. Right? And, and so many times, I think, again, we come up with all these different excuses right, in, in our mind of why we don't share this news with people who don't know Christ. And some of them are valid, and probably most of them aren't. Right? And yet, when we think about that, again, I think one of the reasons I, I know is to say is like people just don't want to hear it. Right? People want to get on the plane and put on their headphones. Right? And they, they just, they're fine. And they think they're fine without God. And, and, you know, and maybe they might even tell you that they're fine. This is, this is literally a tattoo on the back of this girl's neck that says, I'm fine. Right, we, we, we broadcast that to everybody. I'm fine. I'm fine. 
I'm fine. But is that really what they're saying? Because if you take this same tattoo and you flip it over, what does it say? It says, save me. And I think that's a great picture of our world today. So many people just want to put on the headphones and go through life. Right? And they're saying, I'm fine. Don't talk to me. But that's not what they're really saying. We've all, as followers of Jesus, we have been sent to share the good news of the gospel to those that we care deeply about. Right? And that's the heart that Paul spills out of this chapter. I care so deeply for these people, but they have misdirected zeal. Right? And he gave his life to sharing the true gospel. And will we follow his example? One, being saved ourselves. Right? And then continuing to grow and move forward in our faith journey and sharing that true gospel with everyone who will listen. Right? As you think about that and think about that challenge again today, it is very real, very personal. Am I saved? What am I doing with this information? I want to close today with this final thought from the words of Jesus in John 14, 6. When he says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one come to the Father except through me. He is the way of salvation. We can't make up our own way. Right? And yet this is vital information for every person on this planet. What are we going to do with that information? So I hope if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope you will confess with your mouth. You can do that just by praying in your seat, coming forward and praying, and just opening your, your heart and your life to Christ. And will we share it with those that we care so deeply for? Lord God, we come to you because we are lost without you, Lord because we know we cannot save ourselves. God, and we praise you today that you sent Jesus Christ, God, to provide a way that we can be saved. And God, we are desperate for you. Where we open our minds and our hearts and our lives to you this morning. God, and we praise you for saving us. And God, I, I pray that as we go this week, God, that you would give us the courage or give us the opportunity, God, to share this truth with somebody that desperately needs to hear it. God, put us in the paths of those people this week. God, help us, Lord, to, to do everything you called us to do as followers of you. God, that we would, I can serve you out of love because you first loved us. We praise you today, God. We thank you for saving us. And Lord, continue to guide us as we grow in our own faith, God, and share that faith with those that we care deeply for that also need you. Guide us as we go this week, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.